Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm at Pre-American Scopal, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Friday edition of the show. Maybe you're listening to it on a Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, since it's a late night game, 7.30 kick on ESPN. Hey, guys, guess what? Our good friends Dave Fleming, Rod Gilmore, back again calling this football mm. game. Uh, Rod G. Figure out a way, I guess, to sync – Jerry Allen's broadcast on the radio to your TV or possibly just watch the game on mute because that'll be better than listening to Rod Gilmore uh, and Dave Fleming call this game. Um, that was kind of mean, but we digress. Uh, Oregon, 8-1 and one, uh, going into this one, 5-1 and one in the conference. Washington State, 4-2 and two in conference play. They're 5-4 and four overall, but 4-2 and two, they control their own destiny still in the Pac-12 North Championship. And if they win on Saturday at, at Austin, the Ducks are in a weird position where they're going to have to have the Cougars drop one to get back to the Pac-12 Championship game. So this is this, this game does not get the attention that it should because of the lack of uh, Pac-12 foundations um, this season, all the non-conference losses, past non-conference losses. The fact that Washington State isn't a big-name brand. But I, I think if this was a Big Ten game or an SEC game, um, and I understand why those are, are bigger, but if this would be a huge talking point in the country because this is – Pac-12 North is on the line, basically. You know, the winner of this game is, is in a really prime position. It's, it's a weird thing because I, I, I agree with you, Matt. I think it's maybe being underplayed that, like, if Oregon loses this game, not only does the playoff go away, but maybe a chance of going to the Rose Bowl goes away because they might be, you know, they, they suddenly have to root for Washington State to lose again, which, by the way, the Apple Cup has not been in their favor at all. So you, maybe you feel like Washington can do you a solid later in the year. But, I mean, that Washington team looks different in a bad way from previous Husky teams. Um yeah, it's a, it's it's wild what's on the line here because Oregon again they're they're in position to make the college football playoff. If they lose, that goes out the window, and then again the division race, which is you know winning the conference is the next thing I think on your your list of agendas after the college football playoff. If that falls off, suddenly that becomes in jeopardy, and you have to rely on other teams to win. Um, I, I think we'll get to our predictions later. I think this is going to be a really competitive game in part because of what we're talking about right now. There is a lot on the line for both programs. These games recently have been really, really close. Yeah. Um, we, I think those listening have probably have heard us talk all about the rivalry recently, but Washington State had won four in a row. Oregon's won the last two, but both those games required a comeback. Um, last year's game in Pullman, Oregon was down pretty big in the first half, turned it over, I think, on like three they had like three turnovers on like four or five plays. Like It was just like boom, 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 boom. Washington State ends up not totally maximizing that on the scoreboard, but does enough to take a big lead. And then Oregon needs to outscore them 29 to 10 in the second half to win by a couple scores and wins pretty convincingly. But that game was really competitive. And then the last one at Autzen, obviously, Camden Lewis needed to kick a field goal to win. And that was a game where, and this is, you know, again, I'm not going to skip ahead to my prediction, but I can kind of see some parallels here where both offenses are really successful and the other defense has a hard time stopping them. But because of that, it's a really close game into the fourth quarter. Um, I think Oregon's offense will be successful in this game. I can see Washington State's offense having some success, too, because it seems like they just have an offense that exploits a lot of, quote unquote, the weaknesses or at least concerns we have about this Oregon defense. Yeah, this is a sneaky matchup. And, you know, like kind of reiterating what Matt's sentiment was earlier about how if this is a different 
conference and a different name on the on the back of Washington or the helmet of Washington State. This might be just different time of game played, different network, whatever the case may be. Um, Washington State's coming in this game playing really well. Four of the last five that they've won, four straight Pac-12 games that they've won. Uh, only losses to BYU. I think it was 21-18, 21-17. 19. Um, might have been 19. Close, no matter what. Uh, and BYU is a solid football team this year, multiple Pac-12 wins. Um, and Washington State, they have really rallied around this all this turmoil that's been happening in their program this year. Obviously, we know about the Nick Rolovich departure. Um, he, t- he and four other coaches, five other coaches, were were relieved for excuse me, were relieved as well from their duties due to the vaccine mandate that the state of Washington has implemented, and that hasn't stopped them. They've only gotten better. Um, you look at how they played Arizona State two weeks ago. They're, Washington State's coming off a bye this week against Oregon, but two weeks ago against Arizona State, who's one of the probably the second best team in the Pac-12 South, one of the better teams in the conference. They whooped them. Uh, they forced five turnovers. This is a team that leads the Pac-12 in turnovers forced with 20. Um, this is a game where, to me, the Oregon has to do a couple things, and that's execute, you know, keep the ball safe, establish the run. Um, and if, if they're able to do that, I think they can come away with a win. But I'm with Eric. I think this is going to be a close one. I know Oregon is a 14-point favorite. They suck against the spread this year. I think they're two and six. Um, I think the only ones point, that come when they're when they're underdogs. Yeah, fourteen points seemed like a lot. Um, I think the line might have started at sixteen. I remember coming back home from Washington in the car with you guys, and it's sixteen, which was a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, fourteen feels like a lot. Um, like Eric was saying, these games are always close, always competitive. Uh, Washington State runs this run and shoot offense, which is I guess mildly similar to what Mike Leach ran in Washington State. Uh, it's probably the closest offense that resembles the run and shoot, but uh, they run the ball a little bit more. Definitely a pass happy team. Jaden Delara is really coming into form. Yeah, this is going to be a close one. Um, we'll get to all of our predictions later and individual stuff like that, but I do feel like you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Washington State had the lead for most of the game or was. You know, three points behind, or that Oregon was never really able to pull away. This is one in which, um, from an injury standpoint, a little bit of clarity, a little uncertainty. I mean, we felt like after the Washington game, hey, maybe things aren't as bad, or maybe going into the Washington game, maybe things aren't as bad. But now we know that Steve Stevens' injury is a little more significant, or there was some kind of setback. He doesn't look like he's going to play this week. Be pretty surprised, honestly, if he plays the rest of this regular season, just based off of what Mario Cristobal said. Mm-hmm. Um, Jackson Powers Johnson seems to be full go. And then we have Ryan Walk, who will be out for the next couple of weeks. I think it's probably safe to say we won't see him play uh, any of the remaining three games in the regular season. Um, and then we have the return, though, of Alex Forsyth. And the importance of that is, I think, pretty significant because as one offensive lineman goes down, you're bringing back two guys um, from injury. So you get a little bit better depth there. But that safety spot against a team 
Um, that that's I think Eric, you said this that this was maybe the the most prolific passing attack that Oregon has faced since Ohio State, or you know, yeah. second best uh, all, yeah. all year. And yeah, you're not going to have you're not going to have Stevens. Yeah, this is where we see what Jordan Happel's made of, and I don't want to diminish what he did in Seattle because he was pretty dang awesome there. Um, obviously, made the interception with the club. Um, had a couple tackles that I think maybe go. I don't want to say unnoticed, but that were pretty significant on third down plays and run support. Had a couple tackles that were just good in open field as well. I think he had the one to stop uh, McMillan on a screen pass short of the, the first down line, and that ended up being a, a, the play that set up the, the fourth down stop. So there's a couple of these that were pretty significant from Happel. So you, you hope he's able to replicate that. But this is a totally different animal, and this is where you see people being really optimistic about the Oregon defense as they should be coming off a game where you hold the team to 166 yards and you don't really let them do anything from a sustained drive perspective besides once in the second half, but totally different offenses, totally different styles and approaches to offense. And Washington is pretty antiquated in terms of what they do. It's kind of a boring offense. That's why they fired their offensive coordinator right afterwards. Cause I think anybody watching was kind of like, that stuff does, doesn't really work against good athletes and probably doesn't work against many teams either because Stanford, who gave up, what, half a century points. I mean, they gave up like 50 points to Utah. You know, Washington only scored 20, and they scored their only touchdown in the last 20 seconds of that game. I think you kind of look at that result now after watching what Utah did and go, boy, that's not impressive. Um, Washington State is a much, much better offense, and it, they will put pressure on Jordan Apple. I, I'm sure they will try to, quote, unquote, target him, try to find him on the field. Um, I will be curious to see if he out there in every passing circumstance. Do we see a little bit more of Brian Addison if, the, if it is a very clear passing down? Do we see more of a Damon David? Um, I think it was notable that Cristobal spoke very highly of the way Dante Manning has moved over to the nickel position. He seemed pretty excited mm -hmm. by that. Um, you might see him a little bit more on the field of different positions. Obviously, Jamal Hill will start there, but maybe on certain passing sequences you see – you know, Dante move around a little bit, um, but just some things to keep an eye on. One other injury note that Mario didn't address, but I thought was kind of notable, was that we saw DJ Johnson leave Wednesday's practice. Um, he had kind of shorts and a t-shirt, didn't look like he had gone a full day. No indication from Mario afterwards. We didn't ask about what was going on with DJ, but I wouldn't be stunned if if he's either not available or, or he's maybe doesn't play quite as much as normal. And again, that's over. That's kind of speculation more than anything else. There's no clarity on that. It could have been a thing where he was, you know, dealing with a minor injury and it was a kind of a day to keep him, you know, to monitor that and whatnot. But just keep an eye out there. That's another one that's kind of on our radar right now. It's very fortuitous for Oregon that when Ryan Walk goes down, they get back basically Alex Forsythe and Jackson Powers Johnson. Um, it is also very unfortunate that Ryan Walk is down and probably won't play another regular season game yeah. because – he was playing at an unbelievable level. Um, yeah. Alex Forsythe, you know, touched on this too, like during his interview with the media on, on Wednesday after practice. And it was just very complimentary of Brian Walk and his play and his ability to, um, uh, well, Forsythe was saying that he was expected to play against UCLA and then his, his injury flared up again and Walk didn't take most of the snaps in practice, blah, blah, blah. He was just really impressed with how he was able to pick up UCLA's front seven and their defense and their stunts. And so that's something that Oregon is going to be missing, especially in this game. But Forsyth's done it before. Obviously, he'd started every game at center this year. Um, 
we touched on this on a, on a recent podcast of who we expect to you know, start in the offensive line. I think regardless that Oregon's front five, their offensive line will be fine. I, I don't have any, any real worries about them. Uh, we'll see how much Jackson Powers Johnson plays. Um, but and again, to, to reiterate Eric's statement, like this Washington State team, their offense is you know, something, something that is hard to handle. Um, they're very capable of putting up well over 400 yards on a team if they're, you know, if they lay back and they and they can get lucky sometimes. But um, this is a now a bigger run team. Max Borgie is you know, one of the better backs in the Pac-12. Um, he's fully capable of carrying the workload in this game. Um, but again, this passing attack is is something that is not often seen. You know, very rarely. I think they're the only school in the FBS who runs the run and shoot offense. Jin mm-hmm. um, Delora ran that in high school, so he's very accustomed to it. Obviously, there's differences between college and high school, but you know, just the very fundamentals of the game plan and schemes he understands. Um, yeah, and if if Oregon can't find something in the secondary that works, um, I could see Washington State basically having no issues moving the ball down the field. So. They need to figure out if Jordan Happel is, cap- is capable of playing in that spot, um, figure out what the deal is with uh, Dante Manning and Jamal Hill, who's better in coverage in this scheme. Um, really, it also depends on how the defensive line plays, if they're able to get pressure on Delora with Kayvon Thibodeau or from their interior guys like Brandon Dorless. That's going to make a huge difference in how this defense performs over the course of the game. 14 starters on this Washington State team are seniors, redshirt seniors, or graduate players, meaning um, sixth-year guys. And I think that's a pretty notable thing. This is this is going to be a team that's going to probably be one of the more physical teams that Oregon will face this year. Um, Mario Cristobal kind of echoed those comments. Um, I think it was Monday's press conference with just playing the Cougars. It just sounds different because – they are a more physically developed football team and they have a lot of size. I mean, their offensive line has significantly gotten bigger the last five or six years. Um, and this season they have two tackles that are pretty darn good. And Abraham Lucas and Liam Ryan, um, Ron stone is a defensive end edge player. That's a redshirt junior and probably an NFL guy. Um, They've, they've got talent, and I, I think if you're, if you're back there and you're wondering or you're thinking that this is a game against the Washington States of the 2010s or the 2000s, you're going to be mistaken. I, I, I think you can walk away with a 12-point victory against the Cougars or a 13-point victory or a 10-point victory or even a 9-point victory. And come out and be like, that was a good win. I, I, I think that's a tip of the cap to Washington State. And talking about that offensive line um, for, from an Oregon perspective, I, I think the, the, the Cougar defense is, is, has caused some problems up front before. And I, I'm really curious to see, A, how Anthony Brown handles this defense uh, it does feel like the last week or so, um, Oregon's offensive line has kind of been suspect to some false start penalties with some pre-snap movement from the D-line, kind of 
a taste of their own medicine. Mm -hmm. um, Washington State is one in which they were the ones in the conference that kind of started this. And I'm, I'm just curious to see what the reaction is. I mean, is there a lot of interest in you guys of seeing if this offense can be balanced again or if it's going to be more run heavy and can they be effective against it? Washington, I think Washington State can be had a little bit with runs up the middle as one of the things that Coug fans Jamie Vinnick was talking about on our, our show with him a couple of days ago, or I guess yesterday is when it went up. Um, just about, I, I think he said Washington State doesn't have any defensive linemen over 300 pounds, so they're a little bit lighter up there. And we just saw what Oregon did running the football. You look at the last two years, too. I think they had like 270 yards rushing um, a year ago in Pullman. And then the year before that, C.J. Verdell had, I think, still his career high from a single game rushing perspective. He had like 250-something yards um, in that game. So they're, they're, I, I think... If they can't, you know, I'll put it this way, if Oregon can't have success running the football, especially into the middle of that Washington State defense, that's going to be a real cause for concern. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, they're obviously we know where their bread is buttered and it's in those type of plays. It's those trap plays. It's those, you know, dive plays. It's getting the ball in between the tackles. Obviously, they run off tackle. I think, you know, we'll get to later some of my predictions. I think another part is Anthony Brown is a runner. How much do they utilize that? I feel like how many times the last couple of weeks have we turned to each other and go, gosh, if he would have just pulled that one, yeah. he could have had another 20 yards. And, yeah. you know, and it's funny because against Stanford, he took a lot of crap because he did pull it a bunch. Now we're kind of, now we're kind of flipping it a little bit, but that's not because we're flip-flopping on what the best decision is. It's because each, each play requires a certain read. And there have been times where I'm not saying he's been anywhere near as bad since Stanford, because I think he's really improved in the zone read and the RPO stuff um, in terms of just making the right decision of to keep it or not. But there might, I think there's an opportunity maybe to keep it more. And, and if that is the case, I think his legs are important. And I just had a thought here for you guys. We'll get to our predictions later. I think we all think it'll be relatively close. In terms of impressing the committee and ensuring that you're ahead of Ohio State in five days or so. And we're, of course, assuming Oregon wins this game. And that's an assumption that maybe is, is too great here. But Ohio State plays Purdue, who's beaten a couple top five teams. Let's say... And they're like a 20-point favorite. Let's say that holds up and Ohio State beats Purdue by 21 points. If Oregon beats Washington State by what the line is, which is 14 points, do you think nationally there's enough understanding of what this Cougar team is and how tough of a draw this is? Or do you think Oregon will get dinged even for winning by two scores against the team in second place in its division right now? I think nationally well, – I mean, go ahead, Jared. No, I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to matter. Uh, I think Oregon will, as long as they continue to win, I think that they'll stay fine. I think it's really, it's going to be a tell when Oregon takes on Utah and Michigan take, or excuse me, Michigan State and Ohio State play. Yeah. And if Oregon shows out and they have a good performance against Utah and they win, I don't know, by 10, 14 points, then they'll stay. But if they win on a last second field goal or if they, obviously if they lose and Ohio State wins, then they'll continue to go. But if Ohio State blows out Michigan State, and Oregon just wins over Utah, then I think you might see a change just because of Michigan State is like the eighth rank or the ninth ranked team in the country. Um, they're a really good football program. They just had a top 10 win against Michigan two weeks ago. Uh, they are still going to be a contender for uh, a potential Rose Bowl at that point. Um, it's a more impressive win than Oregon taking on Utah, even though Utah is the second best team in the Pac-12. This is just where the Pac-12 has consistently hurt itself all year long. Uh, they don't have 
any clear now they have a clear-cut second favorite team but they still don't have a clear-cut third favorite team there's a lot of teams just sitting around 500 and there's a lot of teams below 500 um it's just not a very strong conference and if oregon just continues to to win and and maybe one day they'll have a style point game i kind of doubt it but maybe this is the week maybe it's not um I, they just need to continue to win uh and it's sadly it's i would I, personally i think it's in their hands i think they control their own destiny yeah. um but i'm not part of the college football selection committee so it's kind of in their hands for the most part as long as oregon continues to win but they have positioned themselves very well enough in the early stages of this whole discussion where it does feel like if they win then they'll be in I feel like if you're asking the average fan, even some of the media, if Oregon wins this game by six points against Washington State, or even like if they go out and they win by by 14, mm-hmm. I think the average fan will scoff. Oh, Oregon should have blown them out. Oregon should have won by 30 or 25 points. Um, I would hope the committee knows that the factors that are at play, these two teams are very competitive the last six years. Um, These two teams are kind of riding high in conference play. Washington state has won four straight in league play. Um, And the one game that they lost sandwiched in between the league games was a two point loss to a BYU team that was at one point was a top 10 team. And that was when, uh, they had just fired their head coach and four other assistant coaches. And the replacement coaches didn't arrive until the day before the game. And they lost by two. Um, I, I think that's notable. I mean, it was, if we make a lot of notes about the lack of Joe Moorhead for the Stanford game, I think the lack of a head coach is pretty significant um, for a game against BYU in that one. And then they came out and, and just pummeled uh, an Arizona State team on the road that's night that's a six and three on the year. Um, so I would hope the committee would have the understanding that a 14 point win is pretty good. Now, I would be concerned. I could see Oregon get passed up if it's a case in which maybe they're trailing by three at the half and then they've got to orchestrate some kind of comeback doesn't matter if it's in the third quarter or if it's early fourth or especially if it's a last-minute comeback to win this game. I, I feel like if, if they win by six points or seven points and yet they have just total control of the entire game, that's fine. They won't, they won't get jumped by Ohio State. Um, if it's a game in a scenario in which maybe they have a 14-point lead with three minutes to go and – you know, they're just playing prevent, you know, make them chew up time. They score a touchdown and Oregon gets the ball back on the onside kick and they just milk the clock out and they win by seven. Like, yeah, they didn't cover, but at the same time, Washington State tacked on a, a pointless score, you know, at the last couple of minutes of the game and, and made it look closer than it was. Um, so I think there's some context to, to that, uh, that question, Eric. Yeah, I agree. But by the way, BYU is still 14th. Like they're right up there. I mean, that yeah. that would have been such a huge win. Loss. 
I think we look back at that and go, man, that would have been a huge win for the conference if, if Washington State could have won that game and what that would have meant. And obviously, Washington State wouldn't be ranked right now. Yeah, They'd be kind of a team that this one would maybe be framed a little different if you'd say they were winning five in a row. The last two games were against Arizona State, and they won that game decisively on the road. And then the other one was against a BYU team who was, as you said, a top 10 team, still currently 14th. I think that would have carried some more weight. So, um, again, just – for, you know, for the 50th time this season, we can say, gosh, other Pac-12 teams not quite taking care of business hurts Oregon. And it's just kind of a frustrating kind of situation to be in, I guess. All right, let's, let's move over to some predictions here. Um, I'll go first with offensive player prediction. Um, I, I think we're going to see a really big game from Devin Williams. Um, he has had his moments for sure this year. Um, I think weather factored into everyone's production at the receiver position last week. Um, I, I asked Anthony Brown jokingly, I was like, you mean it's not like Madden and you can just throw still for 350 yards in weather conditions? And he just had this kind of look on his face like, thank you. But I can't say that, but thank you. Um, and so I, I'm thinking Devin Williams is going to have a big game. So I'm going to go at least – five catches in this game for Devin Williams, at least one touchdown, and he's going to go for at least 85 yards of, um, in receiving yards. By the way, before I get to mine, isn't it crazy that we're this far into the season and we're waiting that first 100-yard receiving yeah. game? <laughs> Oregon hasn't had a single one all year. The last time they had one, by the way, was Devin Williams against Oregon State in 2020. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we get – There's a, there might be an opportunity this week if – if they really want to go for it to try to get something like that accomplished. Cause I do think there's some susceptibility in the back end from the Cougars. Um, all right. Mine is not actually pass game related though. I think it's, and I kind of touched on it earlier. I think the key of, I don't know if Washington state has, I don't want to say the athletes, but I think, I think they can be beaten by an athletic quarterback, by a, a quarterback who's, you know, a, a dual threat quarterback. Um, I think this is an opportunity for Anthony Brown to pull the ball a little bit, to run a little bit more, to have some success doing that. We saw, and he, he statistically, by the way, if you take out the sack yards, and I'm going to say it for the uh, you know 5,000th time in this podcast, do not include sacks in, in, your, in the rushing yards for the quarterback. It makes no sense. But if you take out about 70-something yards from sacks, Anthony Brown has like 500 yards rushing and seven touchdowns this year and averages like six and a half yards per carry. He's been very effective for the most part on those run plays. Mm-hmm. Um I think this is an opportunity for him to have another big day running, assuming he does, a, you know, makes the right reads with those. And I'm not arguing he should be pulling it when it's not the right decision. But I think there's an opportunity to do a little bit more on the ground. So I have him running for a season high on the ground. His previous high was 85 against UCLA and Pasadena, aided a lot by that 43-yard run right there at the beginning of the fourth quarter um, that we thought sealed it. And then it got kind of dicey for a moment. But um, I think he goes 86 or more yards on the ground. Ooh. 86 specific. Um, I have another rushing offense. Uh, I have Byron Cardwell doing well. I have him having over 12 carries, 75 yards, and a touchdown. Um, I really like what I saw from Cardwell against Colorado. Obviously, seven touches, 127 yards in the tutty. Uh, Washington was a bit different. He still carried the ball pretty well and effectively, especially in the fourth quarter. Uh, 16 total carries. Uh, I know, like we've all been saying on this podcast for a long time, that they need to have an established, you know, RB two when it comes to taking away the workload from Travis Dye. 
Uh, Carbo seems to have stepped up. Um, I think he struggled a little bit in terms of yards per carry against Washington because of Washington's interior. I think those are big bodies. They may not be the best, but they're big bodies. Byron Cardwell is a big body. You know, just running into each other. It happens. It's football. Uh, this Washington State front is not that. So I think the holes are going to be a little bit bigger. I think Cardwell is going to have more room to run. I think it's going to be tougher for Washington State to tackle him. Uh, I think this is going to be another good performance. I think we could see a couple you know, big chunk plays, 15 to 18-yard runs. Um, I just really like what I've seen out of him so far, and so I think he's going to have another really good performance this weekend. Can I just re really quick, Matt? Sorry, but I just want to see. You could argue Cardwell's game against Washington might have even been more impressive than Colorado based upon those short yardage pickups he had. Um, he had three yeah, he was huge, huge, huge in the third down. Like it, To me, it reminded me of like a young Royce Freeman where it's, again, another freshman wearing 21, mm -hmm. but he – you know, has that lower leg drive where even if he's got two people in front of him, he's just going to keep pushing. And he got two or, or he got three, I remember specifically, huge third down and short pickups. Um, one of them wasn't even a power move. It was just him cutting out of the backfield, making a guy miss, and then just getting the first down. Anyways, I really like what I've seen from him so far. All right, team pick. Um, kind of going in line with what your both of your picks were. Uh, mine's run game oriented. I, I think Washington State has they are I don't I know this they're they're seventh in the conference in rushing defense. Um, it's middle of the pack, but I think some of that is a little bit skewed to the teams that they've played. Even though they've played nine games, um, they have USC on their schedule who just does not run the football at all. Um, they have played Stanford uh, a couple weeks ago, and Stanford cannot run the football at all. Uh, they also have a game against California. Um, Cal is not the most proficient running team in the conference. They have a game against an FCS opponent in Portland State. So that's another one. Just some of the teams that are it's kind – I'm not – directly saying they're similar to Oregon, but they're both, they're, these are all teams that focus run first, physicality at the line of scrimmage. Utah, they went for 219 on this Washington State team. Oregon State went for 309 on this Oregon State team. Yeah. BYU went for 238 uh, and three tutties against this BYU team. And Arizona State went for 131 in a game in which they had to throw the football a ton to get into the game. Um, I, I think Oregon is going to run for 250 yards of total offense or 250 yards combined with its quarterbacks, its running backs. Um, we might even see Jalen Red get a fly sweep or two in this game. I, I think Oregon is going to have a really big day on the ground. And it's not going to be in particular one specific guy that does all the lifting. It's going to be uh, a team effort to go over 250. We're making basically the same prediction here. I've got Oregon 200 yards or more. I kept it simple. I've hit that, I think, like three or four times this season. In fact, or you look at Oregon's stats on the ground. Aside from the UCLA game where they ran at a season low, and that was because I think they threw it a season high, just knowing the matchups of, hey, this watch, this UCLA front is tough. They're big. They're multiple. We're not going to maybe have as much success here. We're going to throw the ball because they're terrible in the secondary, and they did that. 
there's not really been a, a poor rushing performance all season. I think every other game, 180 or more yards. And I think all but two of those games were also 200 or more yards. So 200 yards again against Washington State. We've run through the – I think Matt did a great job running through the stats. I told you about what Oregon has done the last two years against this defense on the ground. I feel pretty confident that they get to 200 yards rushing. And I'll say this. If they don't get to 200 yards rushing, I would be a little concerned about the outcome of this game because that means Oregon has not been able to really – you know, ride with what its hot hand has been all season, which is its run game. So 200 or more yards. Uh, I'm going away from the running attack. I'm going, I have three wide receivers getting uh, 40 plus yards. I think for some reason I have just some hunch that Oregon is going to do what they tried to do against Washington and hopefully better conditions and establish the pass early. Um, I think if they can set up an RPO game with Anthony Brown and Travis Dye and, you know, incorporate whoever it is, Giant Johnson, Jalen Red, Devin Williams, Michael Pittman, you name it, um, and get, keep the defense on their toes. Because if they can stack the box and understand that their rush defense isn't great and force Anthony Brown to throw and Anthony Brown can beat them, that's really great. However, if they can come out and force them to pay, play a pass defense and then start to beat them in their mm. rushing offense, little RPOs here and there with Anthony Brown if he keeps it or not, I think it'd be really beneficial if Oregon can go out there and say, hey, we're going to pass the ball for the first couple throws or first couple downs, um, do something about it, and then we're going to start to run you over. So I have three wide receivers, 40-plus yards in this game for Oregon. I like it. All right, individual stats here. Um, I, I thought really long and hard about doing a linebacker stat because – all we've known with Max Borgi is a guy at the running back position that beats you on the ground and can beat you in the passing game as well. And I think you look at 2018 and Borgi had 53 catches um, as a freshman. In 2019, he had 86 catches. This season, he only has 12. Mm -hmm. um, it's weird. It, it's really weird. And I don't know what it is, but I'm going to go with Jeffrey Vasa, even though I don't feel like Borgie's a major guy in the, in the passing game. I think Vasa is by far their best cover linebacker in the inside um, yeah. over Sewell. I don't think Sewell's very good. And I think we've started to see actually Oregon use Sewell as kind of like an, an additional rusher. Um, or someone to try and jump and pat the ball down instead of covering guys. And it's been Bassa, uh, Bassa that's actually back there covering guys. So with the run and shoot, with the quick passes and, and all of that, even though Max Borgie is not going to be the one uh, getting a lot of those passes out of the backfield, I think Bassa is going to be all over the place. So give me another career high for him in tackles. I think it's currently eight. Um so I'm going to say nine or more tackles for Jeffrey Bossa. I think it's six. Six? Well, I'm saying at nine. Go with nine. I like nine. I, I'm a I'm similar kind of thought in terms of I think Washington State is going to throw a lot, and I think it's going to come down to Verona Kinley to clean a lot of it up. Um, Verone's had kind of a quiet two or three weeks, really. I mean, mm -hmm. he had four – I think he had four interceptions through the first, like, four games. Maybe it was five games. I'd have to go back and look. Um, but was really active. He had – eight tackles against Fresno State in the opening game. Like, he was playing at such a high level. And I'm not saying he's taken 
a huge step back and that he's been bad by any means because I think everybody listening to this podcast recognizes his value. He's a very, very good defensive back. Based upon the fact that I think Washington State's going to throw the ball more than anybody since Oregon played Ohio State, I think there's going to be more opportunity for him. And I think he finishes with a season high of 10 tackles or more. Um, I almost went career high, but I'd forgotten he had 13 in the uh, Fiesta Bowl against Iowa State. And going 14 tackles for a safety feels like that would be a maybe again. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if, if that's happening, that's probably also not a great sign because that means a lot of completed passes that he has to go clean up. But I still think he's going to be very active. Uh, 10 or more tackles for the general. Yeah, this feels like a Veron McKinley, Jeffrey Bassa, Noah Sewell game. Um, a lot of short, intermediate throws. Uh, I also had Bassa. I'm going tagging along here with Matt. Uh, I had him over seven and a half tackles, uh, one and a half tackles for loss, and a pass deflection. Um, yeah, he's just played really well recently. Um, you hear it from a lot of the players as well, just that boss is getting more confidence and, and no longer thinking about what he's going to do and just going and doing it, which I think is huge for a linebacker because it's such an instinctual position. Um, that's what kind of made Justin Flo so great was that he just went, didn't really think about it. He went and he was instinctual to the point where he could you know, find the right opening and be there in time. Um, <laughs> this is a game where um, – it would be awesome if Oregon's secondary was were, were fully healthy. Um, I would have yeah. loved to have seen Bennett Williams out here. He would have had – he and Verone and Noah Sewell and Jeffrey Bassa, like they would have been all over the place. It would have been just a lot of fun to watch. But um, I still think it will be a lot of fun to watch. I think it's important to see how Jamal Hill does as well. I think he's going to be not thrown at, but I think he's going to be in the general vicinity of a whole bunch of passes. Um, if he has a good day at the office, I think that could really help Oregon's defense as well. Um, and we'll see how Dante Manning plays at that star position, which I thought was really interesting to see in the depth chart and really interesting to see uh, or to hear, excuse me, Mario Cristobal talk about it last Wednesday. Defensive team prediction here. Um, Washington State is one of the worst teams in the conference and getting into the red zone and scoring touchdowns. They are 10th in the conference. And so I think what's going to happen is we're, we're going to see three drives by Washington State enter the 20-yard line of Oregon or, or closer and either get pushed back and have to settle for field goals or just get stuck inside that red zone and settle for field goals touchdowns being wiped off and instead being replaced by field goals. And I think ultimately that's going to be probably the difference in the game um, is Oregon's defense kind of bowing up in the red zone and not breaking and forcing Washington state to take three field goals when they were right there and, you know, within yards of scoring touchdowns. So three field goals inside the red zone uh, by Washington state. I like that one a lot, Matt. I think it's a good one. I think that could be crucial because I do think and we'll get to, I mean, the score prediction. I think it's going to be close. I think there are going to be yards to be had for Washington State. Just think about how Oregon has defended similar, I guess, not similar because there haven't been that many, but passing offenses. Um, I think, well, a couple things here from a turnover perspective. You know, I think Jared mentioned it earlier. I know we've talked about it in the podcast. This is the best team in the conference in terms of forcing turnovers. They're also one of the worst in terms of protecting the ball. They've had more turnovers in their nine games than any team in the conference. And just talking about total, both sides of the ball. 
34 total tar- turnovers in games that mm-hmm. they've played in, um, whether that be by them or the opponent. Um, that's like five more than any team in the conference. They've given it away 14 times in nine games, which is, I think, the fourth uh, the fourth most among conference teams. I think this is a game where Oregon's defense has some success forcing turnovers. That's a thing we haven't really been able to say recently. Think about those first four games. They had 13 turnovers forced Oregon did in the first four games. And since then, they've only forced four. And three of those came against UCLA. There's been several games this year where in, in kind of a row there where they just didn't force any turnovers. I think that changes. Jaden Delora is a really impressive up-and-coming quarterback. I mean, shoot, he's an argument to be probably one of the first or second team all-conference quarterbacks, and that speaks to his development also speaks to the quarterback play in this conference being pretty pretty putrid overall, I would say. Not a very good league from a quarterback perspective. Um, he's also prone to turn the ball over. He's had at least one interception in six of his eight starts. He turned it over twice against Cal. They ended up winning that game anyway, but um, I – kind of look at this and say, I think there's going to be some some balls that are thrown that give Oregon an opportunity to make a break on them. So two or more turnovers forced by an Oregon defense that that really badly needs to win the turnover game. I think the turnover margin, I'm going to have my keys to the game up probably already when you listen to this podcast. The big key is winning the turnover battle. Whichever team forces more turnovers is probably going to be in a pretty good spot. I think Oregon gets at least two. I have Oregon's defense holding Washington State to under 350 yards of offense. Um, if you go through all of Washington State's wins in the last five games, um, they were held under 400 yards just twice, once by BYU and once by Cal. Um, I think that's the barometer of, of success when it comes to Washington State. Um, they can very easily put up nearly 500 yards of offense if you let them get hot. Um, but I think Oregon's defense is going to you know, try to at least – prevent anything from going over the top like they've been doing all year long um, and just rely on their pass rush to hopefully break through. Um, I think Washington State's offensive line is underrated there. They've always been pretty good, especially under Mike Leach. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how they're going to to stack up in terms of pass, pass blocking and Oregon's defensive front. I think Brandon Dorless and KT and Braden Swenson and Popo, Amawabe, I think they could all get their their chance at rushing the passer. Um, obviously, it's a quick throw offense, so the ball might already be out. But I think they'll, at one point, I think in the second half, probably it'll be too physical of a game and they'll start winning more reps. All right, score predictions here. Um, I have Oregon winning this one. They're not covering the spread, but they're going to be really close. Um, I envision a game where going into the fourth quarter, much like it was last week against Washington, it's going to be close. I have Oregon winning something like, you know, winning by 21 to 17 going into that fourth quarter. Um, Close game. Oregon probably has control of it for most of the game, but Washington State really can't. Washington State's still always just there. Um, and this is where those red zone stops kind of come into play. I have Oregon scoring two touchdowns in that fourth quarter and Washington State having to settle for field goals, and that's the difference in this one. So I have Oregon winning 35-23, to 23, kind of a weird score, but like I said, I have Washington State making three field goals in this one and two touchdowns. Uh, it's going to be close. Um I wouldn't be surprised if in the first half Washington State maybe even has the lead. 
But I, I think ultimately in the end, like Jared said, Oregon's got the better players. They have the better depth. They have the bigger players. It's a home game. I think ultimately Oregon State or Oregon will just grind down um, Washington State, and that's kind of how the fourth quarter pull away happens. Thirty-five twenty-three. I could, yeah. I think we're all going to have sort of similar ranges of scores here. Um, I think again, I think Washington State will have some success moving the football um, in this game. I think, like Matt, maybe there will be some wins in the red zone where Oregon forces field goals rather than touchdowns, and those will be successful. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I think Oregon's defense will force some turnovers. Um, I don't think there's going to be enough separation, though, for this to get to a cover. Um, I, again, also don't have a cover here. I think another another thing I'm kind of envisioning happening is what we've seen against Washington, um, what we've seen at times against, well, I guess, Colorado a little bit of, um, and then they tried to do it against Stanford and it failed, which is just long, extended drives in the fourth quarter. And I could see this being a thing where, Maybe Oregon's up 14 points in the fourth quarter. Washington State scores a touchdown to make it a one-score game, and then Oregon just milks like six, seven minutes of clock out and ends up winning just without even needing to score points at the end just by killing clock because that's the kind of drives this offensive line and this offense kind of live for. And kind of that's – I think they – again, they they live for physicality and they live to kind of zap the will of the opponent. So I kind of see this game ending – with Oregon playing keep away and just running the clock out and just first down, first down, a long drive. Maybe it ends in points, maybe it doesn't, but it's enough to kind of secure a victory. And I have Oregon winning 37 to 30, another one score win, um, which by the way, this is kind of a funky stat, but I threw this in my uh, Scopel Dama story that went up on Wednesday. Oregon has not won a home game at Otson by more than two points since 2013 against Washington State. Um, that's mm. pretty wild to think about. So I think they get that done, but it's still it's only a one score game, 37-30 ducks. They win, and I still think it's enough to keep them at three, assuming there's not a bunch of noise uh, around them that gets crazy, crazy. But I don't think they lose ground in the playoff um, because of it. But I think it's one where a lot of folks nationally, what we talked about, are kind of going, well, we're going to only beat Washington State by seven. And it's kind of um, becomes, I guess, misunderstood what that game really means and what it was. I have Oregon winning 37-28. Um, I, I think this is just going to be, like you guys are saying, it's going to be a close one. Um, like I said earlier in the pod, I don't think it would surprise me at all if Washington State has the lead for some of the game, if not most of the game. Uh, I think there's four things Oregon has to do in order to really win this game. It's execute, get off the field on third downs, establish the run, and hold on to the football. I think those are just the four major keys. Um we talked about Washington State and how they're able to, you know, force turnovers. Uh, we talked about how their rush defense isn't great. Um, they need to get off the field in third downs, third and long specifically. They can't give up any firsts or get silly penalties. And then execution. Um, against Colorado, you saw that Oregon's offense finally executed at a high level. Uh, against Washington, Oregon's defense executed at a high level. If they could put both of those things together like we've only seen once this year, you know, this could be a different story. Um, still waiting to see that on a constant basis, but it's gotten better in recent weeks. Um, I am mildly frightened that Oregon might treat this like a look-ahead game because I think all eyes are on next week's uh, matchup with Utah and Salt Lake City. I don't anticipate that happening. I think Mario Cristobal has a very firm grasp of the program itself and how people's 
you know, what their mind frame is going into this week. I think they are all 100% focused on the Cougars. Um, but that thought is still there. It's, it could be very easy to think about, well, hey, we're in, we're in this playoff discussion. This win won't matter as much as a win over Utah. Um, I don't anticipate that happening again, just from how we talked to Mario and all the players this week, but that's all right. Um, yeah, I think this is going to be a close one. I think they'll get more than the two-point win, like Eric said, but yeah, it'll be uh, if you're if you're in Eugene for the game, it's going to be don't don't leave in the fourth quarter. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So I got Oregon winning 37-28. I was talking with a buddy and. He's going to remain nameless, but he will get a kick out of this. I'm going to mention it on the podcast. Um, a bunch of my friends will. But Mario Cristobal, if you throw out the 2020 COVID season, okay, um, the wins and the losses, but if you just look at the normal understanding, normal seasons of 2019 and this season, Oregon is 20 and three. And they have wins um, against a 11th ranked Utah or a top 10 Utah team. They have a, a, a win against a top 10 Wisconsin team. They have a win against a top 10 Ohio State team. And the style that Oregon plays, well, this is where I'm going. They, they are not flashy like Chip Kelly. But we still get tweets. Oh, what's wrong with the offense? I miss the days of Chip Kelly where they're they're putting up 49 and, and 38 of it's in the first half. Um, those days, he, like, this is not that system. But what this system does is Oregon has been Oregon is in every single big game that they have played. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them. They 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 have gone in and toe to toe, and they have been equal, if not better, than their opponent in every single big showdown. But the style also does not allow you to just more often than not destroy an inferior opponent for whatever, you know, the way Oregon plays. Um, and so I think this is going to be a game in which Oregon's going to look good. They're going to play good. But the score isn't going to be reflective of that because Oregon likes to grind out drives. They, they would, if, if they could, they would, they would get six drives a game, and they would score all six times, and each drive would, would take seven minutes off the clock. Like That would be their perfect drive scenario. And it's just not set up where you get these massive blowouts. And so I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm expecting this game to be good by Oregon. I think they're going to play a clean game. But the way that they play, it's just not set up unless you have some crazy – breaks for 80 yard touchdowns where you're going to have these massive numbers. So I think we're going to walk off and we're going to think, wow, they, they won by 12, but they played really darn good. We even think about the losses they've had in that span. If you want to talk 2019 and 21, all those games were very much winnable games at the end. Auburn game, Auburn. I mean, they're all pretty heartbreaking actually, if you talk it out, but Auburn was a, a devastating one where you led for, Gosh, what was it like? Fifty-eight of the minutes of the game, or something like that. Or I don't know. Auburn barely led in that game. It was just at the very, very, very end. And then Arizona State was a game where Oregon was down late, didn't deserve to win, but boy, they had some opportunities. Kind of in that fourth quarter, they finally offense finally made some plays. And then obviously, 
I don't really want to talk about that Stanford game. I was watching those highlights a couple nights ago, just of like, oh my gosh, what that is was, wrong with you? What is devastating? Oh, I'm just, I was doing a review of the season. I was going through and watching all the highlights from all the games, and it was devastating. Yeah, but you could skip that one. You know how it ends. Yeah, I do know how it ends. <laughs> there were some fun moments before that, but no. Um, but yeah, to the point we're making that it's just, uh, yeah, you know, they, they don't get blown out. They won't get blown out. You know, I just don't think that's an outcome that really happens with this team until you play maybe a Georgia or something in a college football playoff game. But you're also right in that the number of you know victories by more than two or three scores is probably you can probably count in one hand in conference play in that span as well. Um, just hasn't been a lot of massive, massive wins. And that's OK, because there's all the wins. They're winning these games. As you said, the record's really impressive. The only thing that you worry about is in with the way that this college football playoff is set up, and this is part of why I think it's silly, is that they somehow weighed against teams like Oregon in some regard that doesn't win these games by massive margins. I think at the end of the day, Oregon wins out, they're going to be in, they'll be okay. But um, you know, that part is, I don't know, maybe maybe not a huge thing to most people, but I think to a lot of fans, you'd like to see them win by more scores. And I, I'm not saying they can't do it, but it just seems like that's not really the common outcome in a lot of these games and it's been frustrating all season Matt, Jared said earlier like maybe this is the game where they they put it away and they win by you know multiple touchdowns I feel like we that's like things that we've been saying know. all season yeah. for a thousand um, <laughs> it is. every week every week is the same thing uh yeah you know um how Matt started out his thought about how still get texts or tweets whatever the case may be about you know, well, I miss Chip Kelly, all that good stuff. Well, look how that offense is going down at UCLA. Um, you know, change is good sometimes. Change is good most of the time. Uh, it takes a while to get used to it, but Chip Kelly hasn't coached at Oregon for a long time. And they've done quite well with Mario Cristobal. They did well with Marcus Arroyo, no matter how much people despise his offensive choices. Um They've done well with Joe Moorhead, even though, you know, last year had its fair share of ups and downs with Tyler Shook, a quarterback. It, this season has had its fair share of ups and downs with Anthony Brown, a quarterback. We on this podcast have had our ups and downs with Anthony Brown this season at quarterback. Um, and look where it's got Oregon. They stink. They're the third best team in the country and they're eight and one. Um, so that's, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They're not going to blow people out and that's fine. They are going to have some games of pure offensive explosions. We've been having this conversation for like five straight years now. Get where, over it. Why isn't Oregon blowing people out? They have Justin Herbert. They have all of these weapons, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't happen. This is a power offense. This is – if Mario Cristobal's bread and butter is an inside read option or an inside zone run to the left side of the line with C.J. Verdell, like that's six to eight yards a, a time. What's wrong with that? I get it. It is not Ohio State. It is not LSU with Joe Brady and Joe or Joe Burrow. It is not Alabama this year with Bryce Young. I get it. Not as fun to watch. Wasn't nearly as fun to watch as Chip Kelly before he was, you know, before all the spread offense stuff. But it gets the job done. It gets wins. It gets yards. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Just stop. Stop complaining. We're okay. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. And until next time you hear us, Saturday night, Sunday morning, uh, following Oregon, Washington State, uh, that's when we'll be next. You've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.